Ladies and gentlemen. Hey. Hello. What is up? It is Ergo. Yes, it is. We are here as always about to bring you a fire conversation with somebody reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. I am Damon. How are you feeling, my friend? I'm Kiss and I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty, pretty, pretty good. Shout out to OG Larry. It's coming back. Curb coming back in January 2020. Ah, just announcement for the people. Oh, that's a community announcement right there. <laughs> Before we get to our wonderful conversation, a couple other community announcements. One, buy your Ergo tea at ergoradio.com slash store. Also, please, 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 we know y'all are listening. Write us a review. Give us five stars on iTunes or whatever your podcast means app so is. so much to us. Like one, it helps the world find out about us, but two, sense of self. Just we want some validation. We could take some gas in that for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So please review, comment, subscribe, and rate on Apple Podcasts. Anything else, Dame? Nope. Let's tell them who we had. So we had a wonderful conversation to bring you with Tiff Beatty. Tiff is the founder of the Artist Bonfire Open Mic that happens at Promontory Point. And Tiff is also the programming director of the Chicago Humanities Festival, a ongoing event series here in Chicago that brings together writers and thinkers in conversation for the public. It's a really great series, and it's also really exciting to see the ways that she's thinking about it and transforming it and bringing in conversations that need to be heard. Tiff is a, a phenomenal person, dynamic thinker, and I'm proud to know her and have talked to her. So let's get to what created some pride for Damon. <laughs> Here's our conversation with Tiff Beatty. Yeah. I feel like a dog with a coat on my head. <laughs> That's kind of the closest feeling. All right. That seems like such a low tech solution to a problem for a dog. Yeah. We're just going to put a cone over its head. <laughs> <laughs> just oh, let yeah. it have an awkward like, yeah. experience. Like, that sounds like the first idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a lot of That's And it's been the same code. They haven't even like made it more aerodynamic yeah. or sleeky yeah. or the matte black version. No, no, no. Yeah. We're going like right off the conveyor belt. Plastic. plastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm writing that down. That's kind of funny. Yeah, that's a good list. What List the first ideas. Mm -hmm. First idea. We, oh, like, um, we did second draft like, this. Yeah, no oh. iterations in that design. <laughs> Let's see. This is a That's a great question. Oh man! Well, the, like the one that gets a lot, I think. Well, now they're iterating, but the the women's uh, hygiene products, mm -hmm. I feel like, have gotten a lot of flack about yeah. not iterating yeah, design, yeah, yeah, not getting yeah, yeah, better. Yeah, 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 yeah. Recently, that was definitely like some, some guys being like, "I don't just fuck it, <laughs> right, right, get it right. out of here." Here's, right, here's right. a cotton penis. Is, yeah, is that yeah. what you want? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah. <laughs> no woman's first idea yeah. was ever a cotton penis. <laughs> oh, right. that, that, that'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what do I have on me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's make that, this that about us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know what you want. Jesus. Well, I think the other one that's really hard that I've just recently, because I watched those Netflix documentaries, but The Toilet. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's definitely. One, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And we have innovated the toilet, but we, it stopped. But it's, yeah. Yeah. It's just sort of flatlined. And there, you know, there's technology out there that could create a better toilet. And they're working on it, apparently. That's what Bill Gates says. But. Do you, do you have do you have any <laughs> of this toilet information? One of the exciting no. things that I remember is like the opportunity to convert 
the things that we excrement uh, into energy. Yes. Right. That's so cool that's to me. yeah, yeah. So it's just like sort of feeds itself. It's, it's self, just like yeah, it's yeah. like the only loop yeah. we figured out. Right, right. But they, I guess they haven't just figured out how to like mass produce it. And, mm. I mean, especially like with sewage systems, it's all very complicated. But. And people are going to have to get over the idea of poop. Yeah, the fact that a lot of the fertilizer we use is poop, like human yeah. poop. Like we just we're going to have to get over. Wait, poop. We, we're using human poop for fertilizer these days? Uh, always. I definitely thought that was cow, <laughs> animal, other fertilizer. I think primarily. Like, yeah. Am I wrong? That, yeah. yeah Re- research that. Fact check. <laughs> because what is the, the gathering mechanism for? <laughs> Your sewage, toilet. Yeah. The, su- the sewage. Let's yeah. see. Night soil. <laughs> so, yeah. Some human waste ends up in forests and farm fields as the treated human feces-based fertilizer known as biosolids. Almost 50% of biosolids created in the U.S. are applied to land, with the majority being used in agriculture. Hmm. Good, to, good to know. <laughs> it's a shitty the world. Fact, the, fact that, the fact that we're not bidetting is really just the that yeah. That's that's a travesty. That's yeah. Millions of people yeah. are on the yeah. next the bidet system. Yeah. Paper paper just, like it's yeah. Again, the first paper, idea. Definitely yeah, the, right, like, toilet paper. What yeah. do I have around? Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a newspaper. Yeah. Cutting down trees is definitely like a first, <laughs> first idea. idea. <laughs> 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 Still doing that? Oh, there's definitely so, a second and third draft. To that. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> All right, y'all ready to rock? Let's do it. Let's do it. We have a wonderful guest in the building today. Yeah, yeah we're already in here chopping it up. Tiff Beatty's here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're someone who like. When you're putting together events, you would think a lot about like what are the transitions and how do you make all that work. So for you, if you could have any animal noise as your walk-up music. What animal would it be? Uh, I mean, I might keep it simple. Uh, just maybe some bird songs. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. nice. Delightful. Yeah. Yeah. So then I could just like break that, whatever that piece was that everybody was <laughs> feeling. I just like disrupt it. Do you, at a particular bird that you have an affinity for? Um, I wish I knew birds better to be able to say a specific bird, mm. but... Whichever ones are like kind of outside my window, they they're pretty cute. You rock with them. Yeah, yeah. What did they say? Them. Like in the last ten years, you you heard about this? Yeah. What is it? A, a billion? Two billion? Two billion birds. We've lost two billion birds in North, North America. In Save the, last the birds. 10 years. That's real. That's a huge. That's come that's, on. I don't know how many birds there are and what ratio that <laughs> is, but it sounds like a lot. <laughs> even if it's you should four percent. Yeah, two yeah. billion anything. You should. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I agree. It's true. If you have billions of something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold, yeah, yeah, yeah. hold on to it. Yeah. Or fucking pay it in taxes. Yeah. Um, Don't let it die. Exactly. <laughs> so let's start where we always start. In this time, this moment, this season, this lifetime, however you define time, how's the world treating you and how are you treating the world, Tiff? I, I can't come up with a better answer than seriously. Mm. Ooh, nice adverb usage. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. What do you mean? Yeah. I just feel like the world is taking me seriously Uh, and I'm taking it seriously mm. in a different way. I think this year, especially last couple of years, I've just sort of shifted my mentality of, oh, you know, I'm just doing this stuff to the stuff matters and it (laughs) makes sense. And Mm. and this is important. Um, So taking and also taking myself seriously that the things that I do, they may be fun and entertaining and cute and interesting to me, but they also make a difference. (laughs) And people that i'm around are making mm-hmm. a difference and so uh, i can still have fun yeah. and also take myself seriously and so that's what i'm really meditating on i think dealing in matters of importance 
trying. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I took. At least, yeah, 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 yeah. At least in my frame of mind, because um, I, I think that's something that I've noticed is people who are successful are just focused um, mm. and take themselves seriously. And whether you know they're just acting a fool on Instagram yeah. or you know they're doing serious acting, like whatever they're doing, they're serious about it. Yeah, and and in turn, the world takes them serious. How do you address the fear of taking yourself too seriously? That's like a very yeah. common yeah. language that we use. You take yourself too serious. Like that's yeah. like a thing that gets ingrained in us. How do you wrestle I mean, with that? I think the fear is helpful uh, to embrace that that is a thing. Um, but at the same time, I think you just have to just trust yourself. Yeah. I think you can't really question it too much. Um, as long as you you know, have clarity within yourself and you feel good about what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, you can't really let other people's opinions of you know, whether it's too serious or not, because someone's always going to have an opinion about whether something's too serious. But like you said, we just lost how many billion birds? Like yeah, that's, that's, serious. <laughs> that's serious. You know what I mean? Like, that's And there's statistics like that all around me. So yeah. I feel like it's... And birds can fly. So right. like, <laughs> right. you know what I'm saying? Like to, right. for two billion birds to die, some shit going on. Right, oh, right. Yeah. they can get the fuck up out of here. They exactly. Like, oh, you know, they can see things before they come. <clears throat> but they got to go somewhere. They got to go somewhere. There's nowhere to go. I'm taking this very serious. So the, Here's a. I want to respond to what you said, but here is a thing I read that makes me really sad, which is, so hummingbirds migrate? Oh, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> we know they migrate because they appear in two places, but we've never been able to track them in their migration because mm-hmm. they're so small, so fast, yeah. and we don't see the process at all. Unlike like butterflies, like um, monarchs, we know their route, we know the numbers, all that. Hummingbirds, we have no idea, but they just like appear on this beach in Mexico. Wow. And then appear here, and we have no idea how they get between, which is incredible. Wow. But there's this one beach where they're finding like more and more of them washed up. Oh, Mm. no. So that means that they're migrating over the water. Right. Which it sounds crazy because they're so small. Right. And then for whatever reason, more and more of them are dying and they're washing up. Wow. Serious. Let's talk about you, that's, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it's just sad. people should know. So yeah, that's real. I know, mean, that, it, that's a thing. Like you know, we don't want to just be depressing or disempowering. But when you say taking your your, your work or the world serious, what are those matters of import that you are like prioritizing? Yeah. What what is yeah. what is grounding that right. seriousness in your right. work? That's a good question. So for me, it's thinking about yeah who I am and what I feel like I'm on this earth to do. And aligning myself with with folks that are, you know, on that same wave. And for me personally, in my internal life, it's my practice of writing, mm-hmm. of reading, of studying. And um, the things that I think are important to investigate those things and to stay with them and to have conversations about them and develop my analysis and try to make a difference where I can. So it manifests in, you know, going after certain opportunities to try to yeah. invest in myself Um but it takes a whole lot of different forms, just depending on which part of myself that I want to focus on. Yeah. Um, whether it's my spirit, whether it's my mind, my soul, my body, you know, just really thinking about my long-term goals and how every day, you know, uh, continuing those practices that lead me to those places. Mm. So what I'm hearing is like intention and focus. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, yeah. let's, so let's, let's get... go serious, maybe intention and focus kind of. Yeah. All, all of together. those things, yeah. <laughs> so let's get to the kind of the external. In the serious mode, new roles you've stepped into, the yeah. kinds of things you're making. I know you most in your role at the Chicago Humanities Festival. Mm-hmm. What was your entry point even into that space? And what feels most exciting about the role that you're in now? 
if you don't mind, just kind of backing up even before that to kind of get back there. Lead up. We're going. Yeah, back. yeah. Let's go back. If so. he minds, fuck him. Let's go. <laughs> let's do it. He has no say in this. Take it back. All right, we're gonna take it back. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm anti throwback. <laughs> if you mind, I'm a huge fan of. All right, well, let's uh, do it. <laughs> well, just because I think, like, just getting. <laughs> Sorry. We're, we're, we're silly ridiculous. You're good. No, we have to laugh with the seriousness. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's. I guess that's one part of it. It's like I've always been kind of goofy, um, but also interested and curious. And so one of the things that changed my life was going away to school. Um, so I'm originally from Tacoma, Washington, okay. near Seattle. If you're not familiar with Tacoma, it's not just a trek. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, and that tells you a lot, actually the truck tells you a lot about it cause it's very much sort of outdoorsy type place, lots of hills, off-roading stuff, mountains, beautiful. Hmm. But growing up in Tacoma, you know, my mom grew up in Tacoma. We didn't travel a lot except for church conferences and things like that. So oldest of five, I was like, I have to get out of here. Um, so I went to a small Christian school in Spokane, Washington. All right. Um, so it was long enough to drive uh to but not too far Mm -hmm. um about five hours away driving um so went to school there if you don't know anything about spokane it's where um let's assume we don't okay (laughs) it's where this is the easiest way i can explain it it's where rachel dolezal was able to get away with being black um did you have proximity to any of that i did not but i can tell that i understand uh why say more yeah say more about that it's very white and I just think that when you're not in proximity to other black people, it's sort of easy to believe whoever you meet that, you know, yeah. but, but <laughs> if black, they say that they're black people like, are going for it, too, though. Yeah. It seems like yeah. it does yeah. seem like just a face value if there were any black people there. Yeah. Like we yes, haven't had I, a Rachel Dolezal conversation. Yeah. Rachel Dolezal <laughs> convincing white people she yeah. was black. Yeah. But in Spokane. I mean, it's a funny place. You just have to be there. I mean, that, that's all I could say. It's just one of those places where I'm sure people get away with a lot of things because hmm. it's it's very so. It other context is it's the biggest city between Seattle and Minneapolis. Um, Minneapolis, yeah, east to west, west to east. That's far as okay. fuck, right? Yeah, okay. that's re- so bigger than like, <laughs> anything in Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, exactly. any of that. Like exactly. bigger than Boise, and it's only two hundred thousand. So Damn. it's surrounded by nothing. This is the Northwest. It's like you have to travel very far to get to anything. Mm. Um, and so even, I mean, Some wild, it's wild just, county when you stuff. talk about race, I just feel like it's a different world in yeah. a lot of ways. Like I grew up in Tacoma where I think we probably have one of the highest percentages of mixed race people. Hmm. So I grew up with a mixed race identity knowing that I was also, you know, black, but that I had this other part of myself. Hmm. Um, and my family was very mixed not just black and white, but, you know, Asian, Pacific Islander, Native American, all kinds of things. Um, so growing up in that diverse environment, although predominantly white, going to Spokane, I was just sort of labeled as black. And hmm. and th- there wasn't really um, a whole lot of different identities that were recognized except for Hawaiian. We had a big luau because hmm. we had this uh, <laughs> recruitment in Hawaii. <laughs> so lots of football players from Hawaii. And you said it was a Christian school? Yeah, Christian school. So (laughs) that was my young adulthood, just sort of figuring out who I was. I did come from a Christian background. I was still very much in that world. Um, But it was at Whitworth that I started to, that's the university. It's a Christian college sounding ass name. Whitworth, (laughs) yes. Whiteworth, as we called it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just started like really breaking down the world. That's where, you know, um, I also was a part of this scholarship, which is called Act Six. 
And it was designed to, as they put it, create new faces in leadership, Mm -hmm. diverse leadership on campus, but also the idea that folks would go back to their hometowns or to wherever their communities were and to continue that leadership. Kind of like Um, posse adjacent. Exactly. And that the model was built off posse. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was and it still does target um, Christian schools primarily. Uh, So um, and they're in Chicago now, too, if you're interested in that Mm -hmm. type of thing. I started breaking down the world. I had this cadre. We went as a cadre like Posse does. Um, but they don't call it a Posse. They call it a cadre. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So the everything in the world is, you know, just the a little tilted at something yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it worked for me because it was, a, you know, a full ride. And I, I got this push to be a leader in hmm. a way in this community of leaders. And so we were a force on campus, the first we were the first group ever oh, wow. as a part of this scholarship so they group. They had their, their culture yeah. shock moment. They had their culture shock. We had ours. Um, four years, I eventually was you know president of the Black Student Union. Like I said, I really started taking on my Black identity and started trying to break down some of my Christian identity and yeah. just figuring things out. So um, it was in Spokane though that I realized that like I needed to be around culture, people, Black culture. Like I started to really value those things. Mm-hmm. So my senior year, I had not studied abroad at all. Um, and so I decided that I needed to get off campus. Um, and true story, I had I was in psychology as a psychology major. I had two Andreas in my class, <laughs> literally <laughs> one on each side. Oh my God. Um, and funny. we were planning our J term for our last senior year. We had a J term where we'd go somewhere for three weeks or we could stay on campus. <laughs> two Andreas. One Andrea was going to Hawaii to study anthropology, which sounded super dope, especially in January. (laughs) Um, And the other Andrea was going to Chicago Mm -hmm. to do this program called Chicago. At at that time, it was Urban Life Center, Hmm. um, but they changed their name to Chicago Center for Urban Life and Culture. Throw a culture in there. Yeah, right. Yeah. You move, if you put the urban at the end, it's a little, it sounds a little better. Put a life in there, it sounds a little better. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. But I think their main thing was the short name is Chicago Center. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just wanted to raise that up as their identity. That sounds vaguely familiar. So, well, okay. I'm so, yeah, I could talk about that because I actually spent a lot of time there. Um, so that sort of gives away that story. I ended up going to Chicago. <laughs> can't tell. <laughs> Went with uh, the other Andrea to Chicago. Still have a hard time, like, explaining how and why I made that choice. Yeah. But I just have to, like, say that it was intuition um, hmm. because something about me knew that going to Chicago was going to change my life. Hmm. I didn't know I would move here even after coming here for three weeks and going back home, I still didn't know that I wanted to come back to Chicago or be in Chicago. Um, so it took a little bit of time, but making that initial decision definitely was like a, a gut thing. What might be fun next time someone asks yeah. is like, I just follow the cooler Andrea and not give them any confidence. Yeah, yeah right, 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 right. <laughs> just yeah. like leave them with that sentence. Yeah, Let no, that's real. No yeah. understanding of what yeah. that means. Was yeah. she the cooler Andrea, the one you followed? Well, it's funny because in the Andrea, yeah, in retrospect, definitely. <laughs> um, and she wanted to, right after we came here, she wanted to move back to Chicago. Uh, um, and she never did. But she's originally from Hawaii. So she mm-hmm. was also helping me make that decision, too. Uh, she's just like, yeah, you come to Chicago, I I lived in Hawaii. Like, so, you know, I, I, I yeah. explain that <laughs> so there was this whole Hawaii contingent at the school. I, we just have kind of glossed over yeah. this. What uh, what's something that people don't know about Hawaii and Hawaiians that people should know that you learned via being in that campus? A lot of people don't realize that Hawaiians are real. Like they have a culture. They're native. They're not to, cartoons. To, right, yeah. right. They're real, and you know that. It's funny, you always know the Hawaiian kids because, like, they're wearing flip-flops on campus. Like, they never really, like, uh, gave in to, like, I mean, 
the January in Spokane that I was here in Chicago that year was colder in, in Spokane than it was in Chicago. It's wow. a very cold environment. Like once you cross the mountains, the Cascades in Washington, mm-hmm. it's basically Midwest weather. Hmm. But yeah, Hawaiians, I mean, I just think, yeah, people don't realize that like they are a people, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Native Hawaiians. Um, With a really robust autonomy movement. There's a great, yeah. for those who are curious, there's a really good documentary about, oh, I'm blanking on the name, but it's about the autonomy movement in uh, Hawaii and actually a lot of the wins that they've gotten in terms of like uh, actual land reclamation, both from the like establishment of it as mm-hmm. a territory and then a state. And, you know, they're being within that like islands that only mm-hmm. Native Hawaiians can go to. And then even like on Oahu areas that are declared autonomous. It's like a, a wonderful example and case study of what, reimagining autonomous yeah. indigenous land can look like yeah. happening in real time, like in our yeah. lifetimes. I'm going to say this with almost complete ignorance. I know very little about Hawaii. Like, you know, some... some also, we didn't expect you yeah. to be a Hawaii expert. Some broad yeah. strokes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they're for it, get all the, 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 the benefits of the United States. But like, if Hawaii was like, hey, we're not a part of America yeah. at one point, I would be so for that. Oh, the yeah. fact that we call Hawaii a state... Yeah. Of yeah, this place that's, yeah, that's, is wild. Yeah, that's actually when we get to the CHF conversation, we okay. had a whole yeah. program about that. About actually. Hawaii and statehood? Um, about the empire. The yeah. empire. So the empire. This is the hidden da- empire. Daniel Emmerwar, right? Yeah. yeah let's, let's talk exactly. about it now. Yeah. Let's just yeah. jump to okay, it. Okay, sure, sure. That so, Hawaii Alaska shit is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't available to come on the show. Actually, we did email him. So oh, we're really? okay. to take his place. Okay. But <laughs> right, like, I cannot. <laughs> from the audience, what did what was like a takeaway from that talk? Who is that guy? I don't know who this guy is. Yeah, so he's actually a Northwestern professor, um, but he's a historian. And I have complicated feelings about that program. It's interesting when you experience the festival. So I'll give like that big picture mm-hmm. and then I'll talk a little bit about the specific. I know I'm still going to go back to my story of no, how we're I doing got it. to CHF. We move uh, in circles. I know you guys are good. Um, <laughs> so his talk was basically about the hidden empire. So obviously like the British empire and you know other empires around the world were pretty much about bragging about all of their territories and their colonies. Yeah, the and like never they would, sets on the British Yeah, Empire. exactly. Yeah. Um, and they would sh- like share the maps of like show you all of their properties and all of that. Um, but the U.S. just took a different approach. Basically, their idea was that they were going to hide the empires because they were supposed to be this other kind of nation yeah. that wasn't colonists, that weren't, you know, doing all these things. They were still doing all of the same things that previous empires were doing, but they were just hiding it. You know, the Philippines, Guam, like all of those things. Um, Puerto Rico. Uh, yeah, Puerto Rico. Yeah, a lot of the islands in the Caribbean and on the um, the West Coast um, are off. Yeah. It's funny that we call it the East, but it's like West of the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so weird to me. But this is part of what like came out of <laughs> this map conversation, right? It's like <laughs> the world is a circle. So it's like, yeah. whose perspective right. are we are we looking right. at? Like right. it's it's East to the Western world, but like, yeah. So it's like so all funny. of that stuff is just telling a story. It's just a narrative. Well, on the flip side of that is what we call the West is like, there are places west of places that we consider the West that right. we call the East. It's like, this is just all coded language. It's all coded language. Exactly. So that's basically what he was saying. Um, but the, I mean, the crazy part about Hawaii, and I just watched just to like, after this program, I had to watch like another Netflix documentary about like World War II just to see how they were going to frame the Pearl Harbor thing mm. because that was his big argument is that the Philippines were attacked. Like Japan was going after everything and they really only focused on Hawaii in the U.S. And like there were letters that he was showing from, um, mm-hmm. you know, U.S. government like editing out things uh, 
they had mentioned that the mm-hmm. Philippines were bombed. They took that out. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they were very much trying to craft a narrative of like what the U.S. was mm-hmm. and whether or not it was like a state or a colony. That was kind of like I don't know. This you know, is part of. Man, I watched us. something about that. Yeah. I can't, I can't pull from it, though. Yeah. So it, it was just crazy to, you know, the way that he was talking about it was just like, oh, I get it. OK, so like what they switched to as opposed to using the map to represent um, the U.S. is the flag. And mm. so it's like we're all united under this flag. So they kind of got away from having to show what really is made up of the U.S. Yeah. and what is not. Um, and so, yeah, so that was very interesting. I think the hard part about the conversation to me is that it still was very much from the Western um, perspective. There Mm -hmm. wasn't really thinkers that were presented. And maybe I haven't read the book, so Mm. he may be talking about Pedro Abisu Campos or, you know, some of those other revolutionary leaders that were, um, you know. What did you just say? Pedro Pedro Abisu Abisu Campos. You'll see his name around. uh, I'm I'm, I'm behind today. I'm lagging. In uh, Port, so just Paseo Baricua in Humboldt Park. Just go visit them. They will take you on the journey down Paseo Baricua from Western to California. Mm -hmm. They have that business strip. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a cultural district, but it's also an educational district. And it, I mean, it's, they are very much pro-independence, but you realize that not everyone is pro-independence. Some people are pro-state. You know, there's like different um, perspectives on that. But Pedro Albizu Campos was definitely a revolutionary leader, and I'm the wrong person to represent his perspective. Have you but about Hawaii, <laughs> Puerto Rico, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, but it's I saw the the Humanities. idea of you the talk map. about things you don't right. know about exactly, <laughs> and that's it's funny because uh, Domiti, if you guys know Domiti Pongo, do. he gave me a compliment that I was I think it was a compliment, and I was like, what? He's like, so basically, your job is just to know a little bit about a lot of things. Yeah, I'm like, okay, so Great that's, job. that's, that's you, should, <laughs> you, you should start a podcast, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, 2020, watch out. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so the idea of the map is really interesting. So that was kind of an arc that I thought about um, this last couple of years is just like, what is, you know, what is this map making and how it's a narrative building mm-hmm. um, tool and um, has political consequences. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. Well, let's continue mapping your journey. Hey, <laughs> nice. <laughs> this is going to be a first. I'm going to hit you with a hard oy vey. <laughs> <laughs> so you move here for this program, this J-term thing. Yeah. What's your yeah. initial response or expectations about what you're going to find in what, Chicago? What, what year is that? What era? Yes, this is 2007. Okay. My senior year of college. Okay. I'm coming in pretty open-minded. Like, I don't, I've never been to the Midwest at this point. I hadn't really experienced, like, other urban centers outside of the West Coast. So I was pretty open. I didn't know what I was going to experience. And when I did come, I was just blown away, basically, <laughs> just to put it. Like, this program basically took us on different tours um, so this one that I just mentioned, Paseo Boricua, was yeah. one of the first ones. Mm. We did um, a Southside driving tour with some OGs from the Southside. This guy named Arvis Averett. He's a social worker who just has like facts, like just pouring out of his brain numbers. Like <laughs> he's just photographic memory. So, um, but also just like a real relationship with the community and the people in the community. So he took us to places like the South Shore Cultural Center. Um, he drove us around and showed us, you know, uh, Farrakhan's house, Lorraine Hansberry's house, Emmett Till's house. Like when I started seeing like this history, like yeah. these people are still here, you know, this culture, politics, like everything is here. There's a contiguous like black community for miles. And like hmm. that was just exciting to me, especially coming from Spokane. Yeah. You know, we talked about Rachel Dozo, like that's yeah. the extent of black. He was the black so, Right. <laughs> right. So it was just like kind of crazy to be like in this whole other world. Like felt like yeah. I was on another planet and I was like, I have hmm. to. 
I have to come back here. Um, we went to plays. We went to live music. We went to spoken word on 79th Street. Mm. In three weeks, we like every single day we were out in the city mm. doing stuff. And then we would just come home and journal. And so it was like in that process that I was just like starting to like make sense of things and um, figure out what, what was important to me, what was exciting to me. Yeah. Um, when I originally applied for the internship, they placed me. I wanted to be at a place called Southwest Youth Collaborative, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist anymore, but used to be on the south, southwest side. Um, and those folks who run it are still active. Um, yeah, they did the... Um they did the like MC College or the the Hip Hop University. Yeah, you know, yeah, right? Hip Hop University. Yeah. So I was a psychology major, I mentioned, but then I started realizing I have always been a writer, always writing, but I, I was trying to find a way to like bring together community work and psychology with art and culture. Mm-hmm. And I saw that happening here. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. It's like these people are not only amazingly talented, but they're invested in their community and they're like doing dope shit. And so when you say you were always writing, what does that mean? You were always writing poetically or you were like, Essay, short yeah. story. What, can you go? Yeah. Can you like place when you picked up the pen yeah. pencil in that way? Christian rap. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> excellent, fantastic. This yeah. is another list that we have. To yeah. Play. What? Uh, yeah. What was your Christian rap name? Oh, I didn't have one. Uh, I was very much like behind the scenes. So that that's the other thing. You like, ghost wrote Christian rap a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you, you holy ghost. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh. Folks, oh, oh kudos. Need congratulations. Folks. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm so holy, proud of you. A holy ghost writer. <laughs> holy ghost writer. That, wow, I might have to go back to that. Yeah, now. I yeah. feel like That's now I have my identity. Yeah. He's framed it for you. All right, thank the you. The picture was there. This There's is all making frame. sense now. Framing is expensive. <laughs> Rick Wilson, I want to say Elton. Was it Elton? Yeah, Elton did some Christian, Christian rapping. Okay. You were at least the third okay. Christian rap origin. Okay, that good, good. Because most people look at me funny when I say that. But yeah, it was a big thing. <laughs> Thank you. As I try to make a funny <laughs> um, But yeah, I mean, I just I also wrote poems. I mean, everything like it's hard to draw a line yeah. um, mm-hmm. there. But like I was mostly just writing about like my family, like writing probably letters to my mom and my dad and hmm. um, about my feelings, just processing life. So I guess just I was always writing means I was always processing through writing. Yeah. Were there other writers around you? When I look back or when I talk to other people in my family, I realize we're all kind of like that. Isn't even that like, funny how that happens? Yeah, yeah. Even my dad. Like, it's crazy because I didn't grow up with my biological father. Mm-hmm. But later in life, we hung out and he, like, told me that he had poems. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, spit something. Just kind of, like, playing. And he just started spitting this poem. He's, like, doing spoken word. And he's it's, like, good. It's clever. It's it's just, like, a story. It's so amazing. I'm like, Dad, like, how did you never tell me that nothing, you do this? Nothing gets you, like, a good surprise piece. It's crazy. And then the other part was, like, the poem was about my grandma, oh. who was a leg wrestler. <laughs> so the subject is on point. I'm so sorry. The, uh, wait, wait, it was just time I, out. You're just right. so you're many right, right, layers, you're right? You're right. You're right. Because right. we took that as an assumption that we know. What a leg wrestler is. What? Right? <laughs> what is leg wrestling? Leg wrestling? Apparently, he described arm wrestling. in the oh, palm. Wrestling. Thumb wrestling? Okay. Leg wrestling. Apparently, you get on your back. Okay. Both people are on their back. And you just literally, like, wrestle your legs. And so, I don't know, you flip the other person over or something. Right. I mean, I knew she was, like, a runner. Is there a cultural context where this originates? This sounds like some Northwest... <laughs> Pacific Northwest type situation. Yeah. In she's origi- India? Let's see. They're what originally you- from Iowa, so I don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> it's a Native American tradition. We do have Native American. Oh, Indian as a Native. Yeah, she's uh, also part Native American, so maybe uh, that's where it comes from. Okay. It was a rite of passage for young boys. 
as were many things. <laughs> um, let's see. I think just for for posterity's sake, we should watch just, just a, little, a moment. Just so let's know. do it. Oh wow! Oh have my you, God! Have you ever s- seen it live? Have you ever? I haven't. See it one more time. Oh. One, two, three. three. Let's Lock it. on. Let's go. let's go. I got you. All so right. it's basically to stay on your back yeah. is what it seems like. Well, and here's the championship. I'm not going to evaluate all of leg wrestling based on these, these two, two men. Yeah. Yahoo's over here. Fucking boot cut I mean, jean it, wearing. <laughs> to hear that your grandma did something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's in, a In a poem grandma. from your dad who you, you didn't, didn't know, know did poems. <laughs> it was, yeah. So and you I'm didn't know she leg wrestled before that? No. That's how you learned, yeah. you learned I learned about her so leg much. wrestling through learning yeah. about his poetry. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's what crazy. a moment. It's crazy. I mean, but that's like when I do get to connect with my dad, like that's just what it is. It's like he constantly has like a really great story and I'm just being blown away. And I'm just like, oh, where were you? Like, I just want all of this. Like, I, you know, mm. but yeah, we do our best to, uh, you know, catch up and share stories and stuff like that. Um, so, but he's he's kind of a storyteller. Oh yeah, he's he's definitely a storyteller. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> mm. uh, but everybody writes in my family. That's how we process our feelings mm. and our thoughts. I asked about the writing because that's how I. Yeah, became that's how I met yeah. you. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but it was uh, BLM shy mm-hmm. with Dorothy Holmes was yep. organizing something. Was yep. it for Mother's Day or was it Father's? It might have been around Father's Day. Actually, it was think, the day before yeah. Father's Day. Yeah, uh, you know, honoring Ron, Ronnie Man yep. Ronald Johnson, who yep. was uh, killed by Officer George Hernandez mm-hmm. in twenty fourteen. If you're curious about that, you can listen to our episode with Dorothy Holmes. It's in the like episode oh. fifty to sixty range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and. So here, here's my here's my truth. Yeah, my truth is growing up knowing a lot of poets. I love probably about eighty seven percent of poets. Mm. I'm probably in like the forty percentile of poems that I like, and mm-hmm. that's me trying to be that's like generous yeah. and current. Yeah, and like you got up there, and it was the first I introduced you, and yeah. it was the first time me seeing you perform, and you did two to three poems that I really, really liked wow. and was moved by like yeah. it was beyond like i i entertained yeah. or i see the, the the skill of it yeah they were, they were impactful thank you um and so yeah i just want to shout you out for that because you know a lot of poets yeah don't like a lot of poems yeah you did multiple good poems thank you thank you no, <laughs> and, that means a and lot. in a space that needed it too yeah. right like that's a very difficult for those who don't know you know since we've had dorothy on in the last two three years she's been organizing mothers around Mm -hmm. the country and state uh who have lost their children to police violence so it is a room full of mothers who have lost their babies and we're trying to be political angry but also joyous and celebratory right it's a very sacred Mm -hmm. but difficult emotional note Mm -hmm. to hit Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's a tough crowd. So most people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were other people performed there, and it was kind of like a lot yeah. of like, oh, we just, I'm yeah. sitting here. I don't remember who it was. So I don't want to be shading anybody yeah. for real, but it was like, uh. But then yeah. you came and killed that shit, and yeah. so, yeah, I, I don't have much more to say besides that. Besides, you, you did some very, very dope. Thank you, poetry and your performance style was also thank you super dynamic in yeah. a way that had poise and control thank you that means a lot because i think that's part of my journey as well is figuring out the seriousness of my poetry but like where it works and and where it works well and where i get because i got a lot f- from that i mean that that's like where i probably feel my energy is best served mm-hmm. is in those circumstances mm-hmm. where I'm afraid because I want to make sure that they feel honored by this experience and not offended or, you know, like, yeah. it's yeah. okay if I offend you as long as you understand where it's coming from. It's coming from a place of love. And I love Dorothy and that whole crew. Like, I mean, Aislin, like, everybody that they're, you know, everything they're doing, like, I just, I want to support everything that they do. 
Um, and so I hope that I add value in those spaces and I'm appreciative. You certainly did. I thank you. You certainly did. That. So <laughs> if that's something that you, you wrestle with or, or, or conscious of, like mm-hmm. the room, what, what were the rooms either in your experience yeah. or your imagination that then shaped the craft to be prepared for that space? Yeah. Because right? I know when I write or I create, like having done all of these rallies mm-hmm. and things, like I can see an audience mm-hmm. that I want a particular piece mm-hmm. to speak towards and that would yeah. be some of the format of it. So what were the the rooms yeah. that that shaped yeah. you being prepared for that room. Yeah. So and it goes back to where we left off with the, my story. Remapping uh, the journey. I'm mapping the journey. Going in circles. Uh, <laughs> because Cafe 917 um, on 79th Street was the location where I was introduced like formally to spoken word in Chicago. Was it 917 East 79th Street? Mm-hmm. Okay. I believe the hosts were Verbal Balance, um, who was made up of a crew, and I, I won't say all of their names, but I, I know that Emerald um, Green, Binky, Harold Green... Uh, Mel Rob, and now I'm gonna like leave somebody out. Andrea, there's probably somebody I'm leaving out. Ugly, like it's a whole crew you. of yeah, yeah, yeah. I love y'all. Verbal balance, everybody. Um, I shout them out in a poem. Like actually, a lot of my poem is narrative, so I, I tell a lot of this story. But it was it was being in that space, seeing the level of talent in an all black room of arts patrons, yeah. like and folks just like giving love and and money and energy, and then the talent level. So it was a community. It felt like church to me. So, I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sort of bringing back that experience or going back to that experience mm-hmm. of that community, but in a different context. And so that was where I knew, even though it was still just an open mic, it felt like more. It felt like a spiritual experience, felt like a community experience. And so that was sort of like the standard. That was mm-hmm. the bar yeah. and the high level of talent and everything. And then I would just, I kept going to open mics primarily on the South side, I was constantly being in those rooms where it felt like it was more than just a performance or more like I didn't really do slams. I didn't really do like the green mill like I did once, but my relationship to my craft was always grounded in community and in a very specific community that talked about what was happening outside of the walls that we were inside Mm -hmm. of. And so that led me to sort of figure out how could I contribute to this community? What would mm-hmm. I bring? Should I do an open mic? Like people would suggest I was given opportunities and it never really felt right. I also listened to a lot of my friends talk about relationships with venues and just like all of that crap that I didn't want to deal with. Yeah, um, Committing to having to be not just at an open mic, but the person run. That's yeah. An open mic is a real hit or miss type yeah. of environment. Right. Right. And there's no money involved. Right. There's no, <laughs> exactly. There's no profitable exactly. open mic. Out. Exactly. Exactly. And so realizing that um, about, let's see, I guess this was about four, five years into being in Chicago and kind of doing the open mic scene, getting, you know, booked for gigs, $50 here, $100 there and realizing like didn't really want to go down that path of like that being my career. Yeah. But I did want to contribute something to the culture. And so I was trying to think about what that could be. And it sort of happened organically. Um, So just to tell a quick story, my sister moved here in 2009. And there was a whole situation of events leading up to her coming here. But Mm. the sort of other side of it is that she ended up having a baby here. Mm. Um, And so it was just us two together (laughs) um, trying to figure out like what that would mean for us. That Um, is a situation. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, now you got a Chicago baby. Now, now I got a Chicago now, baby. Now yeah, there's yeah, a Chicago yeah. native. Now there's a Chicago. So the first person in our family to be born in Chicago is my nephew Trayvon Alonzo Shout Jennings Lloyd. Trayvon, he's yeah. a Southsider. 
South uh well he was yeah well we lived on the south side he was born on the north side but um yeah just the hospital yeah, thing there, there's a health yeah. mark on that. That, that doesn't count yeah. right exactly exactly um so yeah where so, was his first address right 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 south side um i mean that's a good point because in that process of looking for housing that would accommodate all of us i realized i can't afford to do this shit um so my family actually came when he was born And we had already decided at that point that she and he would move back to the Northwest. Uh-huh. She would have more support there. They have more options. You know, I wasn't ready to be a baby daddy, like, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. But, yeah, we talked. We had a, yeah, we had a good talk. And she felt the same. Um, but while my family was here for the birth, my family left to barbecue. You know, we're outdoors people. I didn't have a yard. So we went to Promontory Point. Mm. At Promontory Point, while we were barbecuing, my auntie noticed that there's a fire pit. Yeah. She's like, have you ever used this fire pit? And I'm like, no. Um, so she's like, well, let's do it. So we got some wood. We had a fire. It was me, my partner at the time, and my family. And that was like my mom, my grandma, my dad, my cousins, my sisters. Like, this is the first time everybody's been in Chicago. In Chicago yeah. Here in Chicago. We're all together. We're sitting around the fire. Next thing you know, we start telling stories, laughing, joking. I start hearing stories from my mom and my grandma that I've never heard. I heard about the first time they ever met. Um, that my grandma wasn't comfortable with my dad bringing home. A, I mean, at that time, I was already born. So she had a, a, a 17-year-old woman with the baby, white, <laughs> coming home with this black man to meet his black mama. Yeah, And she like, nah. <laughs> so she did not like it at first. Hmm. Um, but, of course, I grew on her. Yeah. Um, my mom grew it on just her. Grew. <laughs> it just grew from there. Had you, and you had never heard about that first moment of encounter there? Never. Hmm. Um, so there was something. And then, you know, I was telling stories, things that I didn't realize, you know, that I hadn't told my family. Yeah. We were just, like, vibing in a way that I was like, something is happening here. I want to continue this energy. Like, I like having my family here. I like having this experience around the fire. And so the next year, I decided I'm going to do a bonfire cipher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I called it Art is Bonfire because it, just the play on words of mm-hmm. artist bonfire. And just the idea that, like, if art is a bonfire, if we could just put all of our trash and just create, like, energy out of this, something to keep us warm, something beautiful, yeah, yeah. something inspiring that moves and changes and transforms, what would that look like, like, with spoken word and rappers and, like, all my cool artist friends? So we did it in 2011. And we've been doing it ever since um, just because people wanted more. And I was like, this is a cool thing and I just want to keep doing it. Um, So that's what I ended up contributing. I started to standardize it for my own mental health. (laughs) So like it's June through September every last Sunday of the month. Mm. Um, And it's sunset. We did some sunrise ones. Um, which was fun but not as well attended (laughs) although people did come out I mean like I think the first or second one we had like 10 or 12 people that's early for raps it is very early for raps it's a very much more of a chill experience it's more about the meditation watching the sunrise over the lake and you know just vibing um, Mm -hmm. and then going to take a nap on Sunday so what is it about fire for you I mean I don't think there was anything that I thought about fire before that that experience with my family I've thought about it a lot since yeah um But it really was just like just having an experience and being like, how can I keep this going? Yeah. And then sort of discovering along the way some of the lineage and the legacy of what I was doing. Because I wasn't mm. the first poet to do, you know, like fire jams. I wasn't the first poet to do a cipher around a fire. But I had picked up that legacy. It took it seriously yeah. and held on to it and continue to do it and it's i mean it's grown i mean promontory point is crazy it's not what it was even yeah. when i started doing it like now i have to actually get out there 
at noon just to hold down a pit for yeah. an event that's happened at seven. Mm. <laughs> so I'm out there for seven hours just holding space. People telling stories around a fire seems like literally the oldest thing in the world. Exactly. You know, like the oldest people-based yeah. thing. And there's something about like, even in an era of constant streaming information and entertainment or whatever, the feeling of like looking in a fire and not being distracted, like... It can reset all of it. And it... It's it, a reset. It, yeah. It's so enthralling and moving and like connective. Yeah. yeah. No, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah. No, actually, it's from, again, back to CHF, um, Chicago Humanities Festival. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just for those, you know, colloquial um, language. So the... E.O. Wilson book, Origins of Creativity, mm. is is something that I uh, picked up because of Chicago, Chicago Humanities Festival. And that really helped me think about exactly what you're saying. What like a the, title. The Origins of Creativity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he points to fire and the, the human brain development that happened because of fire. Yeah. We were starting to eat animals mm. and like just all kinds of things that were happening. And that, yeah, he says that that's probably where you know storytelling and epic poetry or whatever you know language that that was just for communication that wasn't like about survival right because right? like we spent all day like hunting or whatever like and then when we get around the fire this is like our time to have community mm -hmm. like basically the first it's kickback like, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so and i really do think especially like as our lives become more controlled by technology that we do take those times yeah. away from you know the clock so even like i hate even saying it starts at seven and ends at ten because like really it starts when people get there mm -hmm. and it ends when we're ready people to go finish, yeah. we have you know we know when the park opens and closes but besides that like i don't want to yeah. put those constraints on there i think sunday should be timeless always hmm. um and so i've just tried to you know just maintain that rhythm so that folks who need that can show up for it. So, yeah. so contribution sticks out for us. That's like a, a major theme of this project, like mm -hmm. this show, like this is our idea of what we want to contribute. And as we always want to challenge ourselves, that's always the question of like, mm -hmm. what's the new or the next contribution? And so much of that is usually framed externally, mm -hmm. but you've now been, what you said, 2011 is when you started? Mm-hmm. So that's eight years of a, of a consistent practice or yes. an eight-year span. Yeah, you know, yeah, maybe yeah. there were breaks yeah. in between at some point. Oh, yeah. No, we've been doing it consistently every summer. So this is our ninth season. So that's next, that's actually, amazing. be our tenth that's season. That's amazing. Yeah. So most people don't do anything for 10 years. Exactly. By, by that's years. what I realized. After a certain point, yeah. I was like, I have to keep doing this just yeah. because that mattered. Yeah. That just because <laughs> the consistency yeah. matters. Yeah. So, so you could think about it like externally of what you're trying to give to an unnamed group mm -hmm. that may have some faces or some categories to it. But what does it contribute for you? Like how has it transformed or changed your sense in the world, in the city, as a practitioner, as a, it's organizing yeah. is what you're doing. As yeah. an organizer, exactly. um, what's the internal change from, from these fires? Um, it's just taught me a lot about exactly what you're saying, like what it means to be an organizer, what it means to be a person in the community that takes responsibility for a gathering, an idea that um, people can, you know, attach themselves to. Mm. I realized one time that I canceled it um, because it was raining or supposed to rain <laughs> and people still showed up people mm. still had a cipher even though i was not there mm. and that's when i realized like this is bigger than me yeah. and i can never not show up again mm. um and so that's just it's like all of those little lessons along the way yeah. like everything i've learned about fire <laughs> about organizing it just made me a better more grounded person the discipline to to show up 
on Sundays, even if I'm out of town, to get back here and just to be like, okay, I'm here. Um, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I have a purpose for being here. And other folks are going to come and they're going to join me, even if it's raining. The last one that we did this last September, um, it was raining. People still came. Like we were literally like, that we were under a tree. So it was yeah. like kind of sprinkling, but we still had a fire. We still had a cipher. And it's just one of those things that it's just, it just kept me consistent in what I believe, which is that, you know, when we started doing it, that it was powerful. And so why would I stop? Um, yeah. And so it's a, it's a good challenge for me. And it's also, whenever you commit to something, I think that you believe in, it just sort of keeps you grounded. Um, Here's if, a leading yeah. question. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Does it feel connected to church for you it's a sunday regularity keeping you focused keep bringing people together blah blah all the all the things praise the, the lord. Is, is there a through line there praise the lord yes there is <laughs> and i say praise the lord because there's some other branches of of this that have broken off um now and i'll talk about this a little bit too that i'm with um my partner who's also a performer we collaborate together and so that's pochop just a shout out oh yeah um shout out. so we work together on things because we're both from similar backgrounds in terms of church, and we both have a similar trajectory in terms of where we want our work to be and go, and the spiritual aspects of it, the community aspects of it, that's always the core of what we're doing. And so thinking about, you know, yes, burning is a ritual, hmm. um, but also prayer, worship, singing, like all of these performative communing. things that we do, communing, yeah. fellowship. Like these are all things that we just want to keep doing because they feed us, they nourish us in our communities. Yeah. Um, but the label and the boxes and, and all of the dogma that's gone along with our you know experiences growing up is just falling away. Hmm. And so, yeah, definitely connected to church. And, and some of those same things I try to take with me, even like going back to Bible passages for some of my research and like mm. looking at what I was reading at different points in my life and, you know, how that shaped some of my current yeah. thinking or programming uh. <laughs> um, and just trying to sort of fit things into what who I am today. Yeah, it's cool to figure out the pieces that you can take with you and then discard the things you don't need or not right. hold so tight to the whole container. It's like exactly. what, what is valuable for me around this fire. Exactly. And that's what the fire can give you kind of the power to do that too. It's yeah. just like burn what's what's not needed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have a confession to make to Please. you. Please. <laughs> and then I would like to get more into the CHF yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. And then also like hearing psychology as this like mm -hmm. underpinning to, to all of your thinking and work that really resonates for me as someone who's never studied psychology formally mm -hmm. but I find it being yeah. at the forefront of all of my shits mm -hmm. so I just want to throw it in there yeah, yeah. Just, just pull at that some more but, but my confession so I had just it was probably like a couple of months after I met you if you yeah. think I'm not putting in Usher's confessions right there <laughs> go ahead go ahead yeah. no 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 it's, it's, it's happening it's apt uh, <laughs> 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 nah but like right when I met you Probably a couple months later, I had just found out about like the, yep. the space and everything, and yep. I was staying right over there. Okay, and I was not aware of what day it was or what yep. time. And me and me and my partner Jennifer, we like live right on like Hyde Park Boulevard. Okay, yeah, we're weirdos, and we were yep. like just in one of our flunks and like not doing well. But yep. like, okay, let's try to be active about this and like yep. walk to the lake. Yeah, and I saw you. Yeah. you were like, oh shit, you're coming. I'm like, yeah. damn, I was just going to the water. 
<laughs> and I'm very happy that this is that's happening real. right now. Yeah, that's real. But I'm like not prepared to see people. Yep. And then I walked over there and I saw everybody that I yep. knew. So we just like went and I had a little spot yep. for the water for like 10 minutes and I went back home. Yeah. And I felt really whack. Yeah. No, no, that but is not appropriate. even whack, It was it was intentional. Yeah. I, I I was I was grounded in it. Yeah. But I felt I came off. Yeah. Whack. Not whack and at I all. I actually love that. I love hearing that because that's that's part of the thing. Like I want to be seen. I want to be visible as a community. But I also don't. I don't want like the weirdness. Like I feel like people. <laughs> so much weirdness. It's just weird. Like especially like I don't know. There's there's sometimes in the culture there's like you didn't come to my event or like yeah. you know like you're not supporting. Damn yeah. no invite. Like yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like dude. Like we just out here. We're in the park. It's open. Like if you want to come, if it's your vibe, come through. If not, there's a beautiful lake to look at, <laughs> and keep you know, like even on like and on a trail, a, yeah, you can a just trail, keep it a website, yeah. Like there's a Shit's beach. Been paved. Your <laughs> exit has been paved. There's a drumming circle down on 63rd. If that's more your speed, like yeah. I'm, I'm all about like whatever your vibe is. It can change. Like whatever. Like come f- listen for two lines and then walk away. Like whatever you need to do. That's what we're out there for. I don't want to commit, but I want to. I'm, I have a strong intention <laughs> to be there yeah. at least once this summer. I would okay. like to go to everyone this summer. Okay. I'm trying to get my open mic game back up, but I want to mm-hmm. I want to strive towards, not commit, strive yeah. towards no, I'm with making you. one this year. I'm striving you. is a more comfortable level. <laughs> be out there every last Sunday. So the space that you've created there, which is, like you said, it's in the public, right? Mm-hmm. This is in the park. This is a thing that is open and people can come to. It seems like the thing that Chicago Humanities Festival is striving to achieve Mm -hmm. in their space, Mm -hmm. which is like a public space for discourse and circle and conversation, you're kind of already doing in this other way for a pretty different community. When you started working at Chicago Humanities or stepped into this role leading programming, did it feel like what you were trying to create was something that you had already created at Proventory Point or some version of? No. And <laughs> does it feel and more this like is it why. Yeah. I feel like I was definitely recruited and or not I wasn't recruited like they were like looking for me, but I was hired at Chicago Humanities Festival because of some of that. Mm-hmm. Um because I bring that, but it's very much not the same thing. A lot of our work is driven by um an institutional like structure yeah. that is just a different world from the world that I'm trying to create. And I guess it's hmm. some of it has to do with time. That's a big, like very um, concrete example of how we function differently and how that's just like foundationally different because I like time is something that I think for CHF, it makes a lot of sense for things to start at four and end at five and it has to, <laughs> that wouldn't work in the like, the space that I'm trying to create right. because time is a, is a huge thing for me. I think that it just creates a lot of the structure that, you know, people assume is real, but it's constructed. And so it's like one of those things that I'm trying to actually break down. Mm-hmm. So even though humanities is like the core of what we're celebrating, the way that we do it um, in these different spaces is, is very different. The way that we get to it. Yeah. Um, so I'm not like flying people in, I'm not paying right. people honorariums. I'm not taking responsibility for anyone's experience aside from like facilitating the vibe and making sure that everyone who's there to, you know, participate gets that opportunity and that, you know, we're moving the train in the right direction. 
But in terms of intention for what it's creating, do those feel kind of obviously it's for different? Stop people. with your leading questions. You just <laughs> yeah, said yeah, no. no, no, no. I, mean, <laughs> I do want to. I want to keep keep breaking this down because I do see it as different. But I do I do see where you're going with the yeah. with the leading question. Um, <laughs> but I don't I don't know, and yeah. that maybe that's the answer too. Is that like I do think that CHF is trying different things and is trying new things, and there have been certain programs where mm. that has been able to happen, where like. I think our intention of creating a conversation that is broader than just the two people or three people on stage, like how can we actually do that is something that I think we're still like figuring out whether it's through creating side conversations or, you know, we've done like talkbacks where it's like a small group that like kind of breaks down the conversation. Um, Having a more interactive relationship with our audience is something that CHF is working on mm. whereas I think like with Artist Bonfire it's built into yeah, yeah. the structure mm-hmm. of it it's just it's such a different structure yeah, that yeah. it's hard to say they would have the same outcome yeah yeah can we pull out and do some communal defining yeah real quick sure uh, I've been thinking a lot about Humanities Fest probably last two months or so which makes um, it that's when it happened yeah <laughs> that makes good or, <laughs> but, but, I, but in like a national context as uh, well right and you. so I, I want us to one have an understanding of what capital H humanities yep. is and then what are the intentions and functions of humanities festivals yep. part of why it became much more significant for me as I'm trying to figure out like mm-hmm. the plans of practice that I want to bring to the world and where I want those the idea of like mm-hmm. I'm writing for a room Yep. Um, we had Bill Ayers on a couple mm-hmm. months ago. You know Bill? Mm-hmm. So Bill, when the whole Obama shit happened and started being called a terrorist all mm-hmm. over the world, he had a book coming out. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, I had all these talks lined up at this whole tour and almost all of my talks got canceled. The only people that com- held, upheld the commitment were small, locally owned bookstores and mm-hmm. humanities festivals. Mm-hmm. And so hearing that as like a, the spaces that would mm-hmm. uh, continue to allow someone who's being posed as this extremist but obviously a long time radical there's obviously some real value there yep. and there's something that feels more institutionally yep. grounded in yep. what these festivals are yep. i've never been to one yeah i get the idea of it yeah but i don't really know what that shit is yeah yeah no that's a good point actually because i've tried to explain this to sometimes we get well we get a lot of folks that come to work with us from universities <laughs> and they kind of want to equate like the idea yeah. of us having a speaker and a university having a speaker it's very different mm. um because our structure is different, our audience is different, but then also like the people who pay our bills are not necessarily like the same as, you know, yeah. with, with the university. And so you're always obviously having to be accountable in multiple directions. But mm-hmm. our our board is one of those stakeholders and then our audience, which is Chicago. And so I always think about it as like as long as we're like speaking to these groups of people and they're like on board with us, like we should be pushing ourselves. We should be pushing the conversation as yeah. much as we can. Uh, we should have some like very clear um, boundaries and constraints on like what we will and won't present. But in terms of presenting ideas, I agree. I think that there's very few spaces, bookstores and humanities festivals makes complete sense to me that th- those are the few spaces where we can take on, you know, someone like Bill Ayers and like, actually do it right Mm -hmm. um it does have a lot of potential when someone's being called a terrorist to go left (laughs) and so i wouldn't recommend that you know just anyone sort of takes on that that um, responsibility of presenting um his work or other people who you know will they'll create controversy or sometimes it's you know we're figuring out at chf like 
how to deal with this stuff when something blows up online. There's like the after and before now that yeah. people are tweeting and like that's a whole level of responsibility too that we're like, you know, having to figure out where we fit into that conversation. And there's this whole tactic of protesting at events that people are speaking now. Yep. Which maybe that's always been a thing, but I feel like that's a relatively yeah. new yeah. tactic. Yeah. Um, the idea of like someone going to a place and talking being a site of intervention. Yep. And that then informs like from jump, like who are you even choosing yep. to bring into the room? Yep. I agree that like it, the the potential of it is so remarkable, bro, yeah. though, because we need. Yeah. And I mean, it's a little bit preaching to the choir, but like, yeah. I really believe in like public and as close to public as possible space for facilitated dialogue around ideas, right? Which is what it seems like yep. is the the potential. Obviously, we're well, just trying to get booked. Is what yeah. Right, right. I see, I see. <laughs> but one of the, one of the things that I've watched you do, or I assume yeah. is at yeah. least partially you, is shifting one the format, but also like who's on stage mm -hmm. and i'm wondering how you've been thinking about the decisions of who goes on stage in relation to your audience because mm -hmm. the audience like you said is different from mm -hmm. a bonfire mm -hmm. chf is is no stranger to an older white mm -hmm. um, how do you think about that relationship yeah. between who you're choosing to put on stage and the responsibility to them as the people on stage in relation to their audience. Yeah, no, that's good. And that, I think also, because you talked about ideas, and I do think when I first came to CHF, that a lot of the language was about ideas. And I think because we also, I'm no, no shade to Ideas Festival, I know some great people that work there, but... You guys do have I like an understated rivalry. Yeah, it's yeah, cute. yeah, yeah, it's cute. <laughs> <laughs> the thing though that I think about, about CHF, the Chicago Humanities Festival, just going back to that word, because yeah. I did look it up because I was doing this project and I, I can talk about that too, but... Um, for Chicago United for Equity, where I was evaluating my organization in terms of like, where were we in this conversation about equity and where did we need to go? And just looking up the definition of humanities, because I think that's one of the big barriers is people don't even know what is humanity. So mm -hmm. if they don't understand the name, then how are they going to get interested or curious in what you do? Mm -hmm. um, and so I realized it comes from an academic background. It describes like the arts, poetry, philosophy, history, um, basically people-centered storytelling. Like the um, shit I wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, like not math. Yeah, exactly. The not math, not science. But we that's the, the, the thing that people also don't understand about us is that we do take on physicists and, yeah, yeah. you know, different folks that um, do speak to those. We talk about technology, mm -hmm. but we try to do it from a human-centered lens so that you're always thinking about the human experience, the human story in it, and how... You know, humans have a role in either the problem or the solution yeah. and everything in between. Um, so I think like that is also how it connects to psychology for me because mm -hmm. I, I always I never really separated my poetry from my psychology. Mm -hmm. um, I always felt like, you know, they were intertwined. And so I feel like that's kind of what I'm still doing today mm -hmm. is, is doing that work. Um, coming back to the audience. Um, you're, you're, you're killing this answering game. Right? Oh, really? You're just oh, grabbing wait, all the threads hey. and just, you're just flowing. I've I'm, listened to a lot of great ah, conversations, so maybe it's okay. yeah, in me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that the the audience right now is it's growing, it's diversifying in the last couple of years, um, but it, it is correlated with our efforts mm. um, internally. <laughs> and it's correlated with our hiring decisions, with the internal work that we're doing to shift our processes to make sure that you know, we are posting our events in the right places to to reach the folks that might be interested in them. But we're also, you know, booking those things that people will be interested in beyond the older white North Shore audience that 
we have depended on yeah. for the last 30 years. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they've been amazing um, in terms of supporting consistently, but we just need to broaden. We need to represent the full spectrum of, of the human experience and also of, of Chicago. Like right. I think if we want to grow, it's only natural that we not only look to other parts of the city for audience, but we also look in different age demographics. We look, you know, to different communities and think about different partnerships um, that will basically just expand what we're already doing in ways that should be organic, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, I really don't think that there is a whole lot of barriers on what we could achieve as an organization in terms of growth. Um, it just it has just, to do with intention. It has to do with intention, and, you know, we have to be smart because um, we can work harder, we can work smarter. Like, we're right. still in some ways operating like a mom and pop shop because, you know, this is like, it's it's kind of hard to catch up to your own growth sometimes as, mm. as a not-for-profit. Mm. And so we're figuring that out for sure. Mm. Are you familiar with George Lipsitz? It's not ringing a bell. Great, like, writer, thinker, academic dude. He wrote this really dope book called How Racism Takes Place. Okay. Um, that was my entry point to him. Shout okay. out to K-Show for putting me onto that. But uh, yeah, he did a talk in 2015. He has roots in St. Louis of Ferguson as a mm. failure of the humanities. Mm. <laughs> I think it's. I think it was a good conversation. Mm. You might want to check it out because yeah. it starts with like the the like Western origins of humanity, philosophical like foundations, and then goes to a critique of the contemporary academy in relation to wow. you know the cause of neoliberal anti-blackness and uprising and the precursors to BLM and stuff. Mm. Yeah. So if it might, might, yes. might, might help you out, yes. the more you know, no, that'll, and that'll be on we'll put notes. this book on the Ergo reading list yes. as well. Yes, if it's not already, it might already be on there. Have you shouted it out before? Maybe, maybe Perhaps. not though. We need a reading list bell too. I read a lot of books, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my whole hard drive is just yeah. gonna be filled with, with like bells. bells and drops and sound effects. <laughs> Ergo in the morning, the morning, the morning. <laughs> It is the morning. Yeah, <laughs> All right. So you differentiated a little bit between this, like it's about ideas, and mm-hmm. this is it's about the humans mm-hmm. and their impact, and the impact of those ideas on people. Let's do some imagining. Are there any best practices that you've been thinking about that you would love to see implemented for, like, here's how we make a space like that more effective or more meaningful for people? I think it's pretty simple. I think you're gonna get out of it what you put into it. Mm-hmm. The difficult part is that we're putting so many different things yeah. in it, so many different inputs. I think that's the complicated but amazing thing about the Humanities Festival is that we have so many stakeholders. The 20 staff that work full-time, ASRs, we call uh, audience services representatives that you know work seasonally, as well as you know the tech folks and the stage managers that, that extend yeah. you know the volunteers. The board I talked about, the audience, everyone who shows up. I mean, I think ideally, and this is kind of going back to my artist bonfire brain, this is a collaboration. Hmm. Um, you can't create a festival with just like one idea. And so even though we have a theme, it always has to be broad enough that we can stretch it out to take different perspectives on it. Yeah. So like our theme this year was power. Like our goal is to examine power from every perspective possible and at least in this current moment, those ideas that are out there and to try to attract the people who, you know, want to be a part of that conversation. And so I think what goes into it, you have to think about how are we going to pay these people? (laughs) You have to think about like, you know, how are we going to make sure that everyone is fed? Those are just very practical things, but my brain goes there automatically because I think 
I start at the end. I started like, what do we want to walk away from this event feeling? What do we want our audience to walk away feeling? You know, what do we want our presenters to walk away feeling? And then sort of working backwards from there. How do we get there? You have to be able to communicate and have empathy. You have to, you know, in a lot of ways, like I think we have the right people on our side because these are people who are also reading and excited about ideas, but they're solution-based people. and. Right. They're always uh, thinking about how to make things better. So yeah. I don't think there's like one answer. It's just sort of like figuring out who are your stakeholders, what are some of the challenges yeah. to getting to that end place, and then just sort of working on those solutions and you know till you get there. And then you know people asking me because um, I've started to do some interviewing. Mm-hmm. Um, people asking me, "Are you ready?" And I'm like, no. "I mean, no." <laughs> you know, who, who are you in conversation <laughs> with in this festival? I know I saw it on the thing. Nikki Giovanni. So that's yeah. just raw. Yeah. How, how did that yeah. go? I don't know. I have to see the video. It was like <laughs> one of those things where, you know, like you perform. It's like yeah. once you get up there, you do your thing, you walk away, you're like, how did it go? Yeah. You know, yeah. you like, you're just yeah. in the zone. I felt good about it. Everyone had great things to say, but it's Nikki Giovanni. Like yeah. I could have completely bombed and it still would have been great. Yeah. I know she's, yeah. Yeah. So she was actually my second interview. The first one um, is this guy named Anand Girdardas, Indian American guy. Um, he's a writer and he has a book called Winners Take All, um, the elite charade of changing the world or something like that. Basically calling out like the billionaires, Mark Zuckerberg's and yeah, um, whatever that Amazon guy's name is. Uh, (laughs) Coming for you, Bezos. Bezos. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So he's coming for all those people. So, but that was like, that was a a Bezos. Yeah. 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 We love our Amazon. I heard it without seeing it, and I had no idea what you had done with your face. For those listening at home, Damon stuck his tongue out and made a noise. (laughs) You know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't get to plan for the first one. And it was just like one of those things where it was like, we need an interviewer for this like three hours before the program. And they're like, Tiff, can you do it? And I'm like, sure. Why not? Uh, Exactly. So it's just kind of like stepping up and like, being in the right place at the right time. And like I said, I didn't plan for that, but I was somehow prepared yeah. for it and did it. And then it's just about like, okay, if I do want to keep doing this, like how can I work this in to my um, contribution? Yeah. You talked a lot about what you wanted other stakeholders or participants to walk out of the room feeling what were your, particularly around the theme, what were your feelings or new notions or conceptions of power yeah. coming out of having to do all that work and organize all these conversations yeah. about power? I like that question because it, it was something that I thought about a lot, actually. Good. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because, means you're good at your job. Because of the, yes, uh, it's something as simple as an Instagram post, right? You have to get your caption right. So, <laughs> so when I was posting the picture of Nikki Giovanni and I on stage, mm-hmm. I was trying to think of like, how do I summarize this moment? And I just came up with two sentences, which is just looking for power landed on courage. Mm-hmm. Because I, one of my goals last year, before we even picked this theme, was to, to feel more powerful, mm-hmm. feel my agency. Like I knew I had agency, but I was in a space of feeling like I didn't. And I was around a lot of people who were... Um, in the habit of, you know, saying other people were responsible and, you know, sort of blaming. And yeah. I just didn't want to fall into that. I wanted to figure out, like, how I could feel more powerful, how I could have more agency, how I could continue to be the leader that I've always thought myself to be. Hmm. And I just realized I was kind of at that point where um, I needed to be more serious, take myself more seriously. 
And so when the theme of power came around, I mean, I'm just like this. I I, I can't just think about it in a work context. So yeah. I was like, oh, this is great. And I was, you know, I was thinking about my own power. And I talked about Chicago United for Equity, which is um, an organization that has a fellowship program. They do organizing around the city, um, but they basically train leaders to do equity work. I kind of was on this journey to like, okay, deal with my own power and also recognize and see my own power, um, which is very hard to do. And so on that journey, I realized that like, by the time I had got to the point where I was interviewing Nikki Giovanni, I didn't feel really any more powerful than I did when I decided I was going to do it. But I think Mm. what I did have was that I was going to do it anyway. I was just going to face that mountain because Mm. I knew that like it, it mattered for me. It mattered for my growth. It mattered for, you know, other people to see me in that role. And um, I found courage. Like I was, I didn't feel more powerful, but I did feel more courageous. That's I did beautiful. feel proud yeah. of myself for, yeah. for doing it. That's um, so significant. I'm going to. Yeah. That, yeah. It's a good shift. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like we got to wind. I have yeah. one last. Sure. Encapsulating question. Yeah, please. So thank you for, for sharing all of this story. It's been, been dynamic to say the least. And what I feel like I heard was this last 10 or 15 years of work was grounded in this notion of like communal psychology. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, what were some of your like guiding questions or hypotheses coming Mm -hmm. into that interest? Mm -hmm. And now you've done this work of big capital P programming. Mm -hmm. What are some of your conclusions or results Mm. around this notion of communal psychology? Mm. Yeah, present Black your dissertation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, yeah. I put it, I put it in that framework to like make it sound formal, but like basically yeah. what you think yeah. is, is is what I'm asking. But yeah. in this context of of community and psychology and the intersection of the two, yeah, I just want more language on what that means, yeah. what that has meant, and kind of how that is framing yeah. all of these experiences. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I told you before we got on mic, your sentences make me want to study. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're all going back to school. Um, so I knew I've said this for a while, like. I've always been writing, but it's taken me a while to take my work seriously. And I think like what I'm coming up with is that the people who get to be on stage are the people who take their work seriously. Mm. And so part of what I'm learning is like it might be comfortable for me to like kind of be in the background and like present these ideas as if they're all equal or they all um, sort of get us wherever we're supposed to be going. But I also know inside that I have... And we all do, right? Like, we all have ideas that we know the world needs to be exposed to. Um, and we have ways of framing things that we know make a difference. And so part of what I'm learning is, like, a lot of this work is just the platform. And what I'm trying to get to is the things that really make a difference for me and the people that I love. <laughs> And at the end of the day, like, none of the rest really matters. <laughs> like, because people are just going to, there's always going to be programming with a capital P out there that is, you know, doing the opposite of what I'm doing. I mean, I was learning about some of the white supremacy websites through uh, programming the CHF has done to know that there is a machine out there that is raising young people to create these websites and these podcasts got, that are spewing yeah. hate. Yeah. The, it's not just are, gonna die out. They are worldwide, yeah. right? The growing. white supremacy podcast community is a very strong podcast yeah. community. Right, right. And they are out there and that's yeah. that's real and that yeah. that needs to be opposed. And so we have to ground ourselves in who we are and 
that's individually, but also as a community, we have to hold on to that. We have to have some type of grounding because it's easy to just sort of go with, you know, the wind. And so I think that for, yeah, probably until I was 30, I was probably just going with the wind. Hmm. And at this point, I'm like, no, like I'm, I'm a tourist. Like I need to be like grounded. I need to be in a place where I can build. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm now making that shift, I think, to, to figuring out like beyond Artist Bonfire as just like, this thing, like, what am I building? And now that I'm doing the, the people's church of the ghetto and thank the Lord and, like, all of these things that are taking black feminist ideas and bringing them into a performance space and bringing them into, you know, conversation spaces that, that keeps them alive. Like, whatever it is that is in me that I feel like got me here, like, how can I put all that together and, like, yeah. actually build something hmm. that... um that continues to last longer than, you know, I've done, I'm am proud of the last nine years, but like, how do I keep, keep that going and sustaining that? Yeah. I think that's the big thing that I've come away with is sustainability. The question of sustainability of, of our earth right now is a question. So we should all be thinking sustainability first Yeah, and obviously legacy. But if, if, if it's not sustained, like no one can tell that story. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, it's just, I think that's where I'm at. I don't know if I have any answers. I think it just keeps getting more complicated I think I have to figure out this Ferguson as a failure of the humanities thing first because I'm in that space right now of like, mm-hmm. what is the real power? Is it just, for me right now, it's practicing it. It's, re- mm-hmm. it's doing the reading. It's the doing process. the writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's having the conversations because otherwise it's very easy to get lost in a fantasy. Yeah. And there's Similar- a difference between fantasy and imagination. Mm-hmm. Ooh. That's a bar. Yeah. That's a bar. That's, ex- That's a bar. It's, it's very similar to what I've like learned or, or taken away about protest or different direct mm-hmm. actions is that, you know, to a certain extent, you can maybe put some like perception based public pr- pressure on positioned power. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most That alliteration was crazy, by the way. What did I say? Perception. Perception. Based. It was just like six P's. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Public power. Um, to make that a simpler sentence, you know, mm-hmm. it's not as much about changing or transforming power, even mm-hmm. though some of that might slip through yep. based off right. public pressure. What it is is transforming the people that show up. Yeah. Right. So, like, we didn't transform the Ferguson Police Department right. or right. City Hall and CPD. Right. We might have got a few more seats on there. Right. But the people that showed up, the people that got arrested, the people that didn't get arrested, their lives will never, never be the be same. same. Yep. The way they see the entire world. Yeah is irreversible. Yep, exactly. Uh, and that, that sounds very similar to like the more intimate practice of, yeah, some good work. of the, the, this, this reading and writing. Yeah, yeah, got to. As we get out of here, you mentioned legacy kind of as a closing. Who, who do you see yourself in the legacy of? Do you ha- kind of have figures, personal or historical, yeah, that course. you're in lineage? Of course. Of? I mean, a big part of me moving here, I, I didn't talk about this part of my journey as much, but one of my um, partners when I first moved here is Ivan Azan Tarver. Uh, shout out uh, Ivan. He's back in Detroit now. But um, he worked at Third World Press. Okay. And so I read, like, Amiri Baraka's work before it was published. Like, Mm. I was, like, getting free books. Everything that was published by Third World Press, like, I was getting a copy. So when I was really figuring out, like, who are you as an artist, like, owning that identity, it was Black Arts Movement. Um, Mm. So Sonia Sanchez, uh, Haki Marabudi, like, that whole wave um, has been very influential. But, you know, from, I talked about my rap background, all of the especially West Coast Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Like you would never think like I would be influenced by Snoop Dogg, but he's amazing. Um, <laughs> he is amazing. <laughs> right? What an enigma of a man. Yeah. Right? Like so those people that are just so themselves, yeah. but then also like, you know, they're for the people like Snoop Dogg is like, it, no matter what crowd he's in, like he's still Snoop Dogg and he's yeah. still 
yeah. from Long Beach. Like, yeah, that is a person who is comfortable in his own skin. <laughs> yeah, that's like, goals. Yeah, that's absolutely. Goals. Yeah. So before we get out of here, let's check out real quick. Uh, what's an idea, a theme, something that came up in this conversation that's sticking with you, or just how are you feeling right now? Mine is just that difference between fantasy and imagination. Mm. It's just really cool. Mm. And holy ghost writing, just because I'm patting <laughs> myself on the back. Yes, yeah. like that. What about you? Definitely feeling kindred on the the communal psychology thing. Uh, I, I feel less comfortable because I didn't have any formal psychology study claiming that, but that's like a big part of how I face the world and like yeah. come up with with my thinking. Um, and also that relationship you talked about between courage and power. I've, I've, I've explicitly also tried to talk about the idea of, of courage as like a political practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you talk in politics, you're talking acts and decision-making around mm-hmm. power, but never really directly said it as simply as courage, first of all, is power. Yeah. That is the pathway to it. And it is how you look, right? You saying, I was most powerful making the decision than actually doing it yep. or, or doing a good job or yep. getting the claps for it. Yeah. Uh, that's very tangible. And that's something I think I will take with me and expand things yeah. that I try to bring to people. So thank, thank you for you. that. What about you? Well, this was not as scary as I thought it would be. <laughs> Courage. <laughs> there you go. Um, but also, uh, you said I had a radio voice. Yeah. So I'm looking into that. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, you should have a podcast. Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. Okay. I strongly look, be- let's talk, but I strongly believe me, you should yeah. have a podcast. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk for sure. I'm, I'm definitely looking for um, new platforms in 2020. And I think because CHF has been amazing and other things are bubbling and I, I feel like it's time. Not that I'm leaving CHF, but that I'm expanding, yeah. you know, in, in ways that make sense uh, for my own personal platform. Yeah. I'm just feeling full. I, I feel very full. I feel like um, I've said a lot and, and I'm glad that it's been heard and that more people will hear it because I know y'all got dope audience out there Shout and out have y'all. built up your your own legacy. So oh, excited man. to be a part of it. Yeah. Sure. All right. You hold Here's, it down. You got it. I think this is you. Do, this is you. This is a me. Do it. All right. So. What we do here to end the show is truly the cornerstone of our work. (laughs) We believe in beef as an accountability tool. And there is so much that needs to be held accountable, so much that has not been. And even in retrospect, it is a useful tool. (laughs) If we can't hold something accountable in the moment, still looking back at history, which is some of the work that you know Golden. from that book yeah. that we were talking about the about empire to all of these different themes it's like how do we understand the decisions that people made so that we don't enable those decisions to be made again oh yeah beautiful so that. what we do here beautiful oh. is we start beef with the 20th century okay we're going to ask you today in this room in about 45 seconds once i finish this intro <laughs> to pick a person a location an event a phenomenon an item something that emerged between 1900 and 1999 that you think needs to be held accountable through the tool of beef. You look flummoxed and a little panicked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Beef with the 20th century. Go. Billionaires. Ah. Yeah. The rise of the billionaire class. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) That works. You know what? This gives me a great opportunity to do. Ah, yes, it does. The billionaires. 
It's just a little taste of my birthday. Yeah, because I think that's what got us here to anyway. All, to most of this. Yeah. To most of this. Yeah. We had yeah. the emergence of a billionaire class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what, I mean, Jay-Z says, what's better than one billionaire? I say zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, that's just... That wealth distributed amongst the community. Yeah. Like, we don't need that. Yeah, man. Yeah. Man, Jay, man. You, yeah. he'll, be, he'll be right there, then he'll right. just take 10 steps I know, back. I know. Which, I do have like something to plug swoop. if we still live. Let's uh, do it. Oh, yeah, we're here. December 4th. Which is his birthday. We have Michael Eric Dyson talking about Jay-Z. At Chicago Humanities Festival, the event will be at Gary Comer Youth Center. Ah. So for this crowd, I can go ahead and just say the code to get a free ticket. Okay. Uh, so it's Neighborhoods, capital N with an S, 2019. Very all cool. one word. So it's a neighborhood programming initiative, but we're basically trying to get more diverse folks and also local folks. If we're doing a program in Grand Crossing, like we need to mm-hmm. you know, expand the audience. And it's on Jay-Z. We think a lot of people will be interested in that. But December 4th, if you're a Jay-Z fan, you'll remember that date. Um, but yeah, it should be pretty dope. He's got a new book on Jay-Z. Cool. Uh, so, yeah. Any other ways that you would like you or your work to be found? My partner does a much better job at uh, advertising shit, and I do some stuff with her. So I would just send y'all to her stuff. <laughs> uh, but I do have a website. It's tiffbaity.com, which you can also check out. It's pochop.com. The brown pages are newsletter, which I edit. Um, she creates it's interactive it's dope as fuck like check out the brown pages i'll promote that over anything on my website <laughs> very cool um we're at ergo radio i'm damon underscore af at ergo kiss and we'll be back next week with another person reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and creative much love to the people peace peace hey dame what's up kiss I want you to meet my friend Miriam here. Hey, Miriam. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Miriam is my oldest friend in the world. The whole world. And she is a devoted podcast listener. Are you? I am. Oh, well, that's love. I don't even just, I don't mean our podcast. I just mean podcasts in general. Okay. I love podcasts. How, how do you usually find your podcast? What do you listen to them on? <sighs> the iTunes mm. app. Yeah, I know. Very basic. You're not thrilled with it? It isn't the best. Well, the good news is we actually have a recommendation for you. Oh, yeah? Well, Ergo is sponsored by Overcast. It's an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Man, it's for the people. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it free in the App Store where you get all the other things. Yeah. You going to check it out? Sounds amazing. Cool. We won you over. Look how effective this ad is. (sighs) Yeah. Pay us more money, folks. (laughs) That's that's advertising in action. You see? Works. (laughs) See, that's how good we are at selling We're doing this. Hey, yo, Harold, hit me up, man. I am an advocate and I can market your stuff because look how great we just marketed Overcast. We just gave an ad for them and an ad for us. I think it's time to get the fuck out of here. Let's do it.